Welcome to the Future of Work podcast series brought to you by Canon Australia. In this series, we speak to business experts from across the country, including prominent academics, commentators and business leaders. The series complements the Future of Work report, written by academic and researcher Dr Sunil Badami, that covers the challenges facing businesses and workers today, the role technology and education might play, and how we can navigate an increasingly uncertain future. In today's episode, we speak with Matt Whale, Managing Director of Innovation Consultancy, How to Impact. Innovation plays a critical role in businesses, delivering differentiation in increasingly competitive markets. Having founded How to Impact 15 years ago, Matt has worked with international businesses including Microsoft, Nestle and Canon on the development of innovation strategy and capability. In the first part of today's episode, Sunil and Matt discuss the challenges of businesses and workers in building a culture of innovation and the importance of human interaction in an increasingly digital work environment. So who are you, where are you from, and what do you do? So my name's Matt Whale. I am Managing Director of How to Impact. How to Impact is an innovation consultancy. We've been going for about 15 years now. We are based in Sydney, and we work almost exclusively in Australia with Australian-based companies, but large ones. So what's an innovation consultancy, and what does it do? An innovation consultancy helps other organisations innovate because it's not natural and it's not easy for a lot of other organisations. There's three parts to it. There's the strategy, so what's your vision? Uh, What's your ambition? Where are you going to go dig? There's the frameworks, what's your structure? What's your team structure? What processes do you have? And then there's probably the most important and difficult bit to get your fingers on. What's the innovation culture? How do you behave? Where are the skills? What's the prevailing attitude towards innovation and the supporting elements in your culture that really make innovation happen? What is innovation, though? Is it a a buzzword? I mean, what does it mean practically? Practically, innovation is change with purpose for the benefit of an organisation. So how can we foster innovation in the workplace? Uh, You need to have five things in place. You need to have, one, the right environment. Um, not just a place that people want to come and can work effectively, but one where when they change mode, they can change mode effectively. You need the structures around it. So you need to make sure you're incentivizing people, you're recognizing their efforts even when they fail. You need to make sure that the attitude of the organization is right, um, that you don't tell people that they can go and explore and it's safe to fail, and as soon as they do, they get sidelined for promotion. Uh, you need to make sure they've got the skills to do it, and then you make, need to make sure that you've got the prevailing behaviours. So what are the biggest challenges facing workers and employers today? For a start with employers, one of the biggest challenges would be the fact that it can take a very long time to get staff. Those staff don't necessarily hang around for a very long time. And how do you get great value out of them in the time they're in your organisation? So how do you hit maximum productivity and effectiveness as quickly as possible, whilst also integrating them into your culture. I think one of the other things you're seeing is a lot of corporate acquisition. Um, There are organisations that can't naturally change their spots and wouldn't want to, so they acquire other organisations and they acquire those cultures with them. And one of the challenges they face is to whitewash everyone under the one corporate identity 
and get uh, unanimity and, and get everyone working in harmony or to allow those separate cultures to exist and yet face disharmony and all the kind of revolution and, and chaos that comes with having separate identities, um, separate working hours, separate mini group cultures, everything that comes from that. So what about the challenges facing workers today? Are they being taught the right skills? that will allow them to enter the workplace and then add value for immediately? And how do they start to develop those skills once they're in the workplace? Um, I think that we have an always on culture, which we would know about. Um, and it, there were some stats that came out from a few years ago that said the people that work the longest hours are actually the happiest. So if you look at the people who are happiest and seem to be most fulfilled in your company around you, they're the ones who are setting the role modeling of working the longest hours, so maybe I should be doing the same. Um, we have amazing collaboration tools and technology. Not, not many of us walk around without at least one phone in our pockets that allow us to be always on and always within reach. So how do you allow the personal side of you to develop at work and how do you keep the two distant? How do you develop the extracurricular elements of your personality and of your CV that are probably the most valuable stuff to most modern employees today whilst also working? Uh, how do you bring that back to the organisation and yet keep some of it back for yourself? Uh, there are a lot of very entrepreneurial people out there that don't necessarily feel like they want one job or want a full-time job at any one time, and they're possibly the most valuable and sought-after employees. So how do you allow them to sustain that entrepreneurialism at work and still get value from it? And I'm not just talking about signing over rights to all their patents, to their IPs, to their knowledge. I'm talking about turning up fully and involving themselves in work. I'm talking about taking risks and allowing them to feel that this is a safe environment to take risk. And I think possibly one of the biggest things I've seen from our work in helping to build innovation cultures is that true sense of people feel very worried about taking risks. And it might be the risk of actually showing them who they really are as a person, but much more often the fact that there's a bit of a buzzword around um, fail early and fail quickly, fail cheap, which is all about the agile economy and agile thinking. And yet the reality from what we've seen from our research is not many companies actually live that rule. Um, there are a lot of people who would say that uh, failure is a dirty word, but we pretend it isn't. We've spoken to a lot of companies about this, and they don't really reward risk and bravery as much as they re reward results. And if they've got these people in a very finite period of time, I mean, the average tenure, for example, for a marketing director in this country is about 49 months, just over four years, which is just a little bit short of a CEO, 54 months, that's four and a half years. So you've got a really short period of time to prove yourself, uh, to add credibility to your CV, to move on through your career. It's not enough time to take risks. It's not enough time to trial and error and to fall over. So how do you see work changing in the next few years, Matt? I think one of the biggest pressures we're under is to fight back from the total digitization of work. One of the things I'd like to see is I'd like to see less emails. I'd like to see less texting and SMSing and more people skills being developed at work so people can have direct one-to-one -one conversations. I was talking to a lovely woman who runs a corporate psychology business and she was bemoaning the fact that there's a dearth of empathy in the, in the modern workplace, that people turn up with a LinkedIn profile, um, several um, kind of collaborative CV elements notched under their belt and you're never really quite sure which is the real them. They're also having difficult conversations by email and avoiding the face-to-face. -face. And you look at the same time at the development of collaboration tools, the, the net worth of Atlassian and all these amazing businesses. 
Um, the fact that we've got several clients who actually won't don't want us to turn up to their office. They'd rather we uh, we teleconferenced in. Um, they're only down the road in North, right? Um, and you get to this point where you're starting to lose some of the humanity out of human interaction. And I think that there will become a massive switchback on that. We'll need collaboration tools to overcome, I don't know, the fossil fuel impact of travel for meetings when they're unnecessary. Um, the tearing apart of our time into barcoded meetings, which become much more easy when we're able to talk to people. But I think we need to see work evolving into uh, a realization of the true value of human interaction. And that's probably what's gonna sit right at the heart of building a really strong and uh, defendable culture. So what role can technology play in the future of work? Oh my God, technology could play the most powerful role and it is playing the most powerful role in the future of work in terms of uh, bringing experience closer to us all and allowing us to share at speed, uh, share so easily work that we've got and collaborate. And if we're collaborating with either experts and peers within our own group, the speed with which that, that collaborative development happens is, is, I don't know, five, six times it would be on your own. But also allows junior people exposure to worlds that they wouldn't normally see. And I think the workplace of the future will become the education place of the future when we start realising that uh, universities and, and large corporations are starting to play the same sort of role in terms of research, that uh, standard educational degrees don't actually make as much sense as real workplace experience. And we'll start to see the workplace becoming a more educational environment deliberately. So. What do you hope the worker of the future will be or do? I guess a bit of an odd answer to that question, which is I hope they will be human. Um, and I don't just mean that we won't have robots taking over all our jobs. I just hope that they will um, maintain a really strong sense of what it is to reach out to other people. Um, an incredible power of empathy from being able to talk to each other, from being consumer and customer and end user centric and if it's in a hospital patient centric or um, and really focusing on their problems rather than using technology to fast track solutions that may be a fair fit but not a brilliant fit when they can actually think through the human need themselves so i think we've got to use technology to allow us to better understand human need and the human condition rather than to find really tidy and easy cookie cutter solutions how have expectations or aspirations around work and careers changed, do you think, in the last few years? I think aspirations around work have definitely changed in terms of um, perceived loyalty towards one employee, employer um, over a period of time. I think the fact that there are so many ventures businesses, corporate ventures businesses, venture capitalist businesses, all looking for the next great white hope. They're all looking for flexibility and speed and, and change. And in fact, they're investing in change. So we're actually creating an atmosphere where we're saying change is good. Expect change, the more change, the better. And yet when you still got classic high, you know, hierarchical organizations, you get to this really you know, nasty place where there isn't any room to change up top. And then I've got one of my clients who's actually developing their own internal um, HR system around building your own development plan that's designed to show people the lateral changes you can have, how you can use internal networks, uh, 
external networks, different connection points within their organization to move and develop externally and laterally. And I think that's one of the biggest changes we'll probably see. Um, more of a community sense around organizations. When you've got potentially uh, smaller organizations taking one-year leases on floors of a 30-story building, surrounded by the big consultancy firms or banks or whoever they're surrounded by, they'll in one way try and act like them, use buying power, use community power to you know, replicate the same economy to scale as the others can get, and at the same time, obviously be as different as possible in terms of how they interact as a community and a network. I've got a mate who's given up a job in finance to go and pursue his his personal startup dream and he's working out of a hub and he's loving it. He's just bought himself a whole new motorcycle jacket and this is a man in his early 50s going through the changes that we all recognise as being slightly, you know, midlife. Um, but he's just built this instant new community around him of people who have taught him masses around uh, Mechanical Turk and um, outsourcing and the teaching skills and he's attending classes and he's He's in his second education. And I think that's what we're going to see is a lot more of that happening more often. And maybe we'll see a lot more employers endorsing that on boomerang employees who will go out in the world and come back and bring that experience back. So how relevant is the idea of a career progression now in such an environment? I think career progression is personal. And I think the more people realise that when you have a, a, an honest job candidate come through, who talks to you about the, what they really want to achieve. It stands out a mile. Someone who's really aware of what they want to develop rather than someone who just needs to earn more money to, to get a deposit down on, a, on, their, on their first apartment, perhaps. Which is obviously a brilliant reason to have a job in the first place. I think career progression becomes possibly the survival of the fittest as well, which is about not becoming a dinosaur and having extinct or unneeded skills anymore. And we'll probably see a big blurring of the edges between, as I said before, universities and corporations in terms of research, skills development, uh, and interchange between the two even. So productivity has risen 500%, you know, over the last two or three decades. But why do we seem to be working more? I think we're working more because we don't know how to say no to a meeting. Uh, I don't think we know how to run a very efficient meeting. Um, we've got stand-up desks. Uh, people know the basics about having an agenda. All that, that really, really simple stuff, that bog-standard simple stuff. And we're really collaborative. Um, we've got these very great open cultures in lots of organisations where we've got open plan offices, and we call it activity-based working, but really it's just an open plan office in nine out of the ten times, which means you can't bloody hear yourself think. Um, you've, and the most thing, I, I think you see that the open plan offices where 80% of, of the people working there have got headphones on. The whole point open plan office is community and finding shared groups where you can co-work together and actually what we're, we're doing is we're distracting the hell out of everyone. Um, we don't really know how to manage workflow very well, I think. Um, we don't have a very agile approach to, to business which is stand up in the morning, share what our core working pl uh, platforms are, share our core blockers, um, take all the critical sub-conversations offline and then allow people to get on and do the work and go home at four o'clock, pick up the kids, go to their macrame class, whatever it is that makes them the exceptional person they are. I think we just jam their day full of, full of unnecessary meetings because we don't know who to collaborate with and who not to. And perhaps we're a bit too bloody polite. Whatever you do, there are times when business as usual demands 
the unusual. Security breaches aren't favorable. That's why our multifunction print devices are not only cost-efficient and come with large, customizable touchscreens, they come fitted with protection against IT security threats with the added control of Uniflow. Just swipe and release to authenticate, then scan your email and cloud accounts. On most major practice management software, Uniflow works seamlessly to assign relevant matter numbers to your scans and printing so you can save on wastage with complete visibility over who's printing what. And stop important documents falling into the wrong hands. So you can get back to business as usual. Because no one does it like you. So what generational changes have you noticed in the workforce, particularly from older workers to millennials? Uh, I work in a very creative field. Um, my business sits within a digital innovation group and it's pretty young in there. And actually, I hate to admit this, but I am the oldest person in the group. Um, and what I see amongst my, my peers, I see people who um, don't know what it's like to not work with technology, for example. Um, they can be quite flummoxed by the sort of the lack of connectivity that they get every day. And yet I see people who find the lack of technology absolutely liberating. And it's, uh, it's almost a gift to them. Um, whereas a lot of the older generation are very comfortable putting technology aside for large periods of time and working in white space and hearing their own head. I think one of the other things it comes down to is that actually there's a lot of people who aren't very comfortable with stillness. Um, with quiet, with reflection. I work in a very creative industry and we're under pressure to generate new ideas and deliver them for our clients. And when you face that pressure, you feel like you should get busy. But we all know that you need to go and have a shower or go and do something repetitive and mindless to suddenly get that bolt of inspiration. And I think older people probably a little bit more comfortable around that quietness and stillness, which is actually a bit of a gift and a talent in terms of coming up with uh, original thought and really you know, sound advice to your peers. I think the other thing I'm seeing is um, there are managers and directors who are in their 20s and they have got older people working to them and we're going to see a lot more of that. And I think that will come down to understanding and really sympathising and empathising with the differences between those generations and allowing a little bit more flux and flex between them. What are employers looking for workers today? Employers are looking for... I think uh, that real contradiction between diverse, interesting, incredibly flexible human beings and intensely skillful human beings who they can deploy immediately, I know they're going to get great value out of, um, who are going to be uh, socially adept and are therefore able to collaborate across borders, across companies, across teams. Um, I'm looking for people who um, have a great sense of humour. And I know that sounds really old school, but people who can actually take the, the hardship that comes with getting knocked back and failing and understand it for what it is, a life lesson, and see the value in it. And quite frankly, I spend too much time at work, so if I'm working with someone without a sense of humour, I really don't want to hang around with them. 
How do you think the workplace will or should change, given your you know concerns about open plan offices? How do you think the workplace will or should change in the future? Um, I was talking to a lovely lady. I won't mention her, but she's a managing director of an architect's firm, and she's developed some brilliant offices in Sydney. And she said that her open plan office was driving her nuts, and she had to build herself an office just to get some work done. Um, you think you look at the stats, I think it's something like 56% of all lawyers, 52% of all accountants actually want their own private working spaces and the type of work they do, they do requires that. And then you look at places where they've introduced wonderful, really, really colourful, engaging open plan offices and you find the teams that can't sit together and they're pulling their hair out. So I think you start to see probably more of a village approach to the actual physical office and I think that will that will that will allow the working force to cross over with clients, with collaborators, and work in a kind of village atmosphere. Whereas when it's free for all, uh, I think you just get a community of white headphones and human beat headphones all sitting together and then not connecting at all. So I think we need to foster a little bit more connection. Um, I think the fact that, uh, for example, IBM turned table and brought all its staff back in-house, having had them working remotely, goes to show the power of connection and collision, as I think you know, some of the theory is, and I think that's brilliant too. So there's a lot more collision required, and we want to create environments that make people uh, stop, open their eyes, and take in the world, and enter that kind of system two part of the brain, where they're, they're processing better, they're looking around them, they're not just going through all the shortcuts that they go to. So how relevant will the workplace be in an age of off-site or outsourced work? Uh, I think that the, the actual physical workplace will become more important because um, we will realise quite soon, uh, I think that we are realising it now, that we need to have that human interaction and human connection to be able to see patterns together. Um, collaboration isn't literally about sitting on the ends of different bits of technology and just sharing work together. Collaboration is about sharing space, sharing experiences side by side. We do a massive amount of in-situ exploration and immersion. And collaboration for me is taking Julie and going and visiting people and just watching them use our products and learn how to improve that experience for them. And it's definitely improved by being able to sit down and join in someone from Tokyo or from Melbourne or whatever it is and share the output of that. But we still need that physical connection. We still need a safe place to learn and we need a safe place to connect as, as groups. I think the culture that comes out of a connected in, uh, workplace is a much stronger culture. So what is workplace culture and what does it mean to you? Workplace culture to me is probably the culture of innovation. That's the culture that I'm trying to foster in my business and I help trying to help my clients foster. And the culture of innovation is one that's got a lot of very conflicting elements to it. Like it's got a high tolerance of ambiguity. And what do I mean by that? It's got people who are very happy entertaining multiple ideas at the same time, some of them very conflicting. It's got a high tolerance of failure. In fact, we don't even use the word failure. We'll probably use the, the expression business experiments. And in an experiment, any result is a great result as long as it allows us to make a conclusion and move forward. So we've got a bit more of a laboratory going on here. We've got the reduction of failure and we've got the elevation of experiment. We've got a high tolerance of ambiguity. We've got recognition that the resources, the leadership, the space is required to think differently and explore ideas. And we've got the technology underlying that allows us to move at pace effortlessly behind it. Um, and in that culture, you've also got 
people who are very human centric and they're not sitting in their office wondering what's going out in the real world. Their office is also the real world. And they're going out and exploring service experience with end users and they're bringing that back to the office as well. So what role can management have um, in a gig economy in fostering a good workplace culture? I think management wants to think, think it wants a gig economy um, when it really, really doesn't. A gig economy scares the crap out of management. A gig economy is everyone's an entrepreneur and will take the, the best dollar from anyone else out there. And whilst the best employees are able to, to demand incredible salaries almost straight out of uni, you do want to know that you're paying them to stay with you and help build your culture. Otherwise, you'll get management being the culture builders and everyone just drawing down from it and the management will become incredibly drained. Uh, you need that people at the bottom to form a community out of the bottom of it. And I think you'll need the gig economy to be not just based on money, to be based on community, based on friendship, uh, to be based on building strands way beyond just the dollar. What's more important, productivity or creativity and why? I work in innovation consultancy, I'd be an absolute fool to say anything other than creativity. But creativity without purpose uh, isn't innovation. Innovation is creativity with purpose and gain. So you need some of that productivity added to your creativity. You can't be creative all the time. You never get any shit done. We've often talked about the uh, challenges presented by the future of work, you know. But what are some of the opportunities and possibilities of the future of work? I think some of the possibilities, you probably talked about them before, would be the possibility to reinvent yourself several times over later in life through work and work to be a means to educate. And maybe some of your uh, remuneration is in education and you're making a trade-off to work for the kind of company that's going to make you a more interested and interesting human being. Um, I think the opportunities are to stop seeing career progression as a straight line, see the lateral edges, the lateral changes, to give people reassurance that moving downwards and backwards isn't a permanent black mark against their name, the imbalance that is current between men and women in the marketplace because of women stepping out for uh, childbirth and then not returning at the same with the same kind of rights and with the same respect or with the same uh, ability to keep those same hours up. And the fact that the the uh, wage gap um, is so is still at twenty one percent show that we are not really fair about allowing every different gender and age to move fluidly through the workplace. And if we are able to do that, the kind of culture you have is one that says there is no failure. There is no failure in having to reinvent yourself as fifty five because you got made re redundant, whether it's been redundant because you were replaced by a robot and some and some uh, coding, or you were redundant because your industry just packed up and went because um, we don't do manufacturing in this country anymore. So I think you've got to really lead with your with your ethos. And if you genuinely believe that um, there is no such thing as failure, that you're a business that experiments, the same should apply to the workforce and all the rules that wrap around them. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Matt Whale. I thought that Matt raised some interesting points, particularly in relation to the workplace and the work environment. Matt talked about the challenge for businesses to provide an environment where employees feel safe to take risks and that this was fundamental to helping build an innovative culture. He also brought an interesting perspective on the importance of the physical workplace to provide the right environment for human connection and collision shifting from spaces where people simply sit to do their individual work together to places where workers shift their mindset into a more collaborative, explorative experiences. 
Matt talked about the power of technology in allowing us to share and collaborate at speed, be it with subject experts, peers across teams, or across different functions. This is certainly something we see at Canon, with many of our customers leveraging the scanning capabilities of our Canon multifunction devices and therefore software to digitise their business information and documentation. If this sounds like something that would be relevant to your business, visit canon.com.au forward slash business. In the next episode of our Future of Work podcast series, we speak with Katrina Wallace, founder and CEO of Flamingo AI, who talks about the fundamental shift that technology will drive for businesses and the workforce. To make sure you don't miss out on this or any other future episodes, be sure to hit the subscribe button.